Good morning. Uh, can you hear me? Good morning, everyone. It's good to be here back in Puchong uh, congregation and, and seeing all of you, uh, although not live, but through Zoom. And uh, what a blessing it is. I send you greetings from Subang. Uh, we are we met last week, but uh, this week onwards, we've we've not uh, we're going on to, into YouTube, and so everybody is following the service uh, afterwards at 11 uh, uh, by YouTube. And so uh, it's amazing that I can preach here in, and then go to Subang congregation in just a few minutes, uh, a click away. <laughs> but I, I really enjoyed the worship. I just want to say that uh, I love hearing the children's voices and uh, you have a lot of talented uh, children singing. Uh, it's so beautiful in, in, the, in the songs and the worship to hear children's voices. Um, and it's a blessing to, to, to for that. Thank you for the time. Um, we're going to look at Acts chapter 8, the text that's given to me this morning. Um, I know you looked at Acts chapter 7 last week and uh, it ended with Stephen having been stoned to death uh, and his speech, of course, um, you looked in great detail. Um, and so this week we, we found, we heard that the people buried Stephen, the first martyr of the New Testament church. And this week in Acts 8, we're introduced to another person, uh, Saul, who approved of Stephen's execution and began an operation to ravage the church, to go after Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, um, going from house to house, dragging Christians, uh, men and women, and committing them to prison and to death. And so it was a time of uh, great confusion and, and, and in the church in Jerusalem as they went through persecution. And, um, and so a lot of people began to disperse and go outside of Jerusalem, leave Jerusalem, uh, except for the apostles who remained. The other believers scattered around uh, to the various parts of, of Judea, uh, and the gospel too began to move out in that way. Uh, and it's a, it's, we, we hear that as wherever they went, that the gospel went forth as well. In fact, in Rome, uh, Paul had never visited that church, but found a church there in Rome. And he wrote to the church in Rome uh, because the gospel had been taken by the people to the various cities. But as Christians went through this persecution, you can imagine the turmoil and the, and the fear among the believers. Christians today in China and in various parts of the world, in Northern India, in, or in India and in Northern Africa, go through persecution and uh, a time of um, uh, where their faith is being tested, right? And, but here we see, we see how Philip goes around and is in the, the region of Samaria, bringing the gospel to the people. And he preached and they heard and there were signs and miracles that followed. The gospel penetrated the city and began to affect it socially. If you look at verse 8, it says that um, so there was much joy in that city because lives were being transformed. Families were being uh, brought together. There were signs and wonders. People were getting healed. And it says there was much joy in that city. Isn't that what we want for our city? Isn't that what you want for the city that you live in? That uh, lives are changed and there is peace, that it is actually, um, ex you can actually experience it and see it, that there is peace in that city. Uh, and there is joy in that city. You know, for, remember those days when we used to be able to travel <laughs> and you go to those large cities, maybe like uh, 
Tokyo or New York or Manila or Bangkok or Kuala Lumpur even, and you go on the subway and you or the, the public transport and you see the people going during rush hour to work and they'll be buried in a newspaper or, or you know, now it's no longer newspaper, buried in their phones and their iPads and they're reading and, and, and then they're rushing to work. And it's a sort of a solemn phase. And sometimes you can tell a city, whether there's joy in the city by just looking at the faces of the people in that city, isn't it? Um, there, even in small towns, there is a, you, some of you know Pastor Edwin uh, Sedengit, uh, whom in the early years of CDPC, um, they, Pastor Wong had led a team into the Orangasti village and rescued a child, a baby from the jungle. And Pastor Edwin has, uh, who works with the Orangasti ministry had uh, adopted this child. Um, but Pastor Edwin is now in Kampung Bukit Sarok, uh, out of, just outside of Muazam Shah in, uh, in Pahang. And, and he, he told me that the town that he is in uh, is an Orang Asli town that um, is on the government registry for the highest number of drug uh, addiction. It is, it is a plague. It's the, the lifespan of the people in Kampung Bukit Sarok is 35 years. It's 35 years old, uh, 35 years because they, they, they overdose with drugs, right? And so, um, but you know, when the gospel is preached, when churches are planted, when lives matter, when families begin to thrive and heal, the poor uh, uh, and marginalized are cared for. The Holy Spirit begins to move and people's lives are transformed. And that is what we hope for our city and for our nation, that as the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, reaches the, the town and the city, people's lives are changed and there is joy in the city. Amen? Well, today, I think uh, um, there, is, there is very clear that, that Luke in the Acts wants us to compare and contrast three different uh, conversions. Because in the next few verses, uh, he, he points us to three different conversions. Uh, and this week, we'll only deal with two conversions. And maybe next week, you'll look at one, one more. And I won't give it away so that the excitement is there. But the, today, the two conversions are the uh, Simon the Magician and... Uh, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. And so we're going to look and compare and contrast these two, these two uh, conversions whom Philip had brought the gospel to. And we'll look at them a bit closer. All right. So, um, but, and so let me read uh, uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 9. Let me read that 8, verse 8, verse, sorry, verse 9 to verse 25 about the conversion of Simon the, the magician. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Um, and then verse 14, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, 
but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on on the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And verse 20, But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. And then verse 23, For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Amen. This is God's word. So this is the conversion of Simon the Magician. And before we head on that direction to look in detail, let me just deal with two theological elephants that is here before us. I think we need to clear this up, the two theological elephants. Um, uh, first is that, because in verse 14 to 17, it mentions that Peter and John came to Samaria and they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit who had not fallen on them, although they were baptized in water. They laid hands on them and received the Holy Spirit. Now, the two um, theological elephants that I mentioned is number one, is that, uh, is there a two-step conversion to salvation? Is there a two-step conversion to salvation? Well, some of our Pentecostal brothers believe that there is two-stage conversion. Uh, believe and then receive the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. Right? And then number two, is, uh, is there a physical, supernatural manifestation of the Spirit as in verse 18? For everyone, for all. And Saul saw that the Spirit was given. And so there must have been some uh, uh, signs that the, that the Spirit had fallen on them because uh, they, uh, saw, uh, Simon could actually see uh, the, cha- the, the miracles, uh, the things that happened as the, as the Spirit was given. So let me deal with number one, that is there a two-step conversion? Now, first of all, let me just say that we must remember that the book of Acts, the story in Acts, is really a historical narrative, not a guidebook for us to seek the normative. It's not a a guidebook to say, okay, this is the way Christianity, the early church did it, so this is how we will do it. In other words, we can't say that this is always how God works, right? And so is it preaching of the word, signs and wonders, belief, faith? And then baptism in water and then baptism in the Holy Spirit or whichever way. Is this the step that is, that is usually taken? Well, if you look at Acts chapter 10, verse 44, the account of the Gentiles pre- uh, listening to Peter preach. And while preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on those who believe immediately. And then Peter asks for them to be baptized. And so these two places, Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 10, the Spirit falls on Gentiles, on the people of Samaria, on non-Jewish people. Whereas in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, when the Spirit of God had come immediately upon the people as they were gathered together and the tongues of different languages were heard, uh, also it's immediately upon a believer who professes Jesus Christ. They were there. They heard Peter preach. They they, uh, believed and the Holy Spirit fell on them immediately. So it appears that here in Acts chapter 8 that 
the Samaritans, uh, when they believed, there was a delay. There was a delay. Why? Why is that so as opposed to Acts chapter 2, when the Holy, and the Holy Spirit had fallen on them, and even in the upper room when the Holy Spirit had fallen on them? Well, Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 10 is special because these are the stories in which the first time the gospel is going out of Jerusalem to Samaria, to the people who were a sect of uh, Judaism. These people, um, the, the gospel had actually crossed uh, the, 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 the line of the Judaism and they have gone to a, a people, a sect of Judaism, to the Samaritans, which is known to be a religion closely related to Judaism. Samaritans believe that the, holy, uh, that the place of holy worship is Mount Gerizim, not Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. And they have been typically been outcast and looked down upon by the Jews. So the apostles Peter uh, and John, it says, needed to see for themselves in verse 14 and verse 15, that they needed to see for themselves um, that the gospel had actually gone to outside of Judaism, to a people who were uh, outcasts. And so the Holy Spirit had not been poured on them for that simple reason that it is given in this case through the apostles so that they can witness this monumental historical transition taking place before them. It is not a warrant or a patent for a two-stage salvation, which our Pentecostal brothers and sisters believe. Because the Holy Spirit, when, give, when, when is activated, when it's given to you at the point of your salvation, at the point when you give your life to Jesus Christ and believe in him. Okay, so the second thing is, is yes, in both Acts 8 and Acts 10, there were tongues, and perhaps like Acts 2, tongues of fire. And whether they be angelic tongues, as mentioned in Corinthians, or understandable languages of various sorts of Bible, as in Acts 2, the Bible records that there were supernatural manifestations such that even Simon the magician was amazed. And now in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 11, it's clear that tongues and the interpretation of tongues are various manifestations of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it, it could be healing, the gift of healing, the gift of, uh, in, uh, uh, the gift of uh, in, interpretation, or even the gift of uh, discernment. And, but in every instance, however, when there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit or signs and wonders, as in chapter 8, you will notice that it always points to the spoken word. It always points to the word of God because the gospel is proclaimed. And as we saw in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that, that the God, the Holy Spirit is given so that the gospel is and the word of God is, is uh, uh, shared and reaches the nations. That is the whole purpose that the Holy Spirit is given to us, that the gospel will be filled with power so that the gospel will be proclaimed, that the word of God uh, will become real. If, if the signs and wonders do not point people to the gospel or to Christ, but to an individual, to an individual who is powerful, who can display even good things like the Holy Spirit, then I can clearly say that it is not of God because the Holy Spirit is there to point us to Christ. And many times as in the book of Acts, we see that signs and wonders will go with the preaching of the word of God into a pagan city or into a culture steeped in idolatry and sorcery. But inevitably, the signs and wonders authenticate the proclamation of the word of God and the apostles during that time. 
So today we also hear of many signs and wonders occurring in places where the gospel and perhaps even civilization has never gone before. Just like what happened in Samaria. Then the word of God is preached and many believed in cities where uh, literacy is high and people are able to read the Bible for themselves. And there is the church that they could go and see the community. Then you would perhaps see less signs and miracles. This is not because the city folks have less faith. But it is because the Holy Spirit's ultimate work is to point us to Christ and his word. And so I, I recall even a, a, one of my more charismatic Pentecostal brothers had said, you know, he finds it very strange that when he goes to Bangkok, uh, when he goes not to Bangkok, but when he goes to the northern part of Thailand, when the, in the villages and where they've never heard the gospel, he sees so many signs and wonders. But then he comes to Kuala Lumpur and he doesn't see anything happen and he he blames it on the, maybe the faith of the people, the Christians. But really, this is what is happening, that signs and wonders do happen in places where they do not have the written word of God and they are not able to read and, 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 and the Bible. And so the signs and wonders point them to the word of God and to Christ. And then the church is established and, and the church grows in that way. Well, okay. I just want to deal with that. Enough said about that. Let me, let me look at this uh, um, Today, our sermon proper, okay? That's the introduction. I heard you guys have, uh, have a lot of time this whole afternoon. So uh, I, there are churches here who go for six-hour six hour sermons. So I'm trying to reach that level. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Okay, Luke have described broadly what was happening now uh, and goes into detailed description of what was happening when Philip was seen going along in the Samaria as he preached in, the, in, in Samaria. And he tells us two stories in chapter 8 of, of a conversion, I think, and we are meant to compare and contrast these two, as I said. And Luke wants us to understand what a genuine believer would look like. And so he tells us two stories. One is a, a genuine conversion of a heart change, uh, and one is a counterfeit conversion. And we are able to tell through the responses of these two men what, that, uh, what we see, right? What we see in them now. Now, we don't know the end of the story. And so I, I won't go to say if Simon actually repented and he actually became a Christian, but th that this is a lesson in itself to all of us, that it is how we finish that matters. It is how we finish that matters, isn't it? How, how we live our lives and how we are transformed into his image until we are in glory. However, the church tradition uh, says that Simon founded the Nicolaitan heresy while the Ethiopian eunuch went on to become the father of the Ethiopian church. So this is just church tradition in, in history. But let's look at Simon, the magician. Verse 9 to 11 tells us that Simon was a sorcerer, a magician. He was, a, he was famous in the city, and he uh, amazed the people by his magic. They referred to Simon as the power of God that is called great. So Simon was somebody in the city, isn't it? Simon was famous and great. Many were mesmerized by his magic, and there were many followers, he says. But look at verse 12. There's a but there, and I love to look at buts because but tells us why the buts are there, and, and it gives us a context and a story. Verse 12 says, or verse 11 says, and they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. And then what does verse 9 say? But, but when they believed, when when uh, Simon's followers believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God, 
and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. What was happening to Simon's followers? They were all leaving. They were all going to, to respond to Philip's preaching. And Philip was, uh, Simon was losing followers, wasn't he? But that means that people were turning away from Simon the Great. They were confronted with the power of the gospel. And lives were changed. Miracles were happening. The city was experiencing great joy. So verse 30 says, then even Simon began to believe as he saw those miracles. Now, I don't know if that was genuine or not, but it says that he believed because his followers, number one, went, but he also saw many miracles. It says that he was amazed at the signs and, and great miracles. It says that even Simon was baptized. And like everybody else, Simon followed Philip around like everyone else. So we get, but then in verse 18, we get a sneak into Simon's heart, isn't it? And verse 18, it says, um, Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. You see, Simon was mesmerized by the power he saw of how the apostles Peter and John laid hands on the believers as they received the Holy Spirit. So first Simon saw the signs and miracles around him and he was mesmerized. Then he saw Peter and John disseminating this power. Now it's one thing to experience the power and to see the power. It's another thing to disseminate the power of the Holy Spirit. I think the modern day preachers and, and in some of our denominations, they call this passing on the anointing passing on the anointing, that, that this anointing goes from one person to another. Simon was mesmerized by that. He wanted that power. And, and uh, Simon wanted it so badly that he offered money so that he uh, could acquire this power of the Holy Spirit. And what does Peter say about Simon after he offered the money? He says, Peter says that Simon is destined to perish and there's no place in the ministry because you thought you could buy this gift of God. Now listen, what did, what did Peter say? And this I think is key in verse 20. Your heart is not right before God. And this is the key to in the conversion, in seeing someone become a Christian, is that the heart is transformed. That Peter says, your heart is not right before God. And this is the main thing, isn't it? Where is your heart today? Is your heart right? before God. And Peter then asked Simon to repent and pray that God will show his mercy. And in the end, it, will, it is God who shows mercy to whom he shows mercy. It is our place to pray and repent for the wrong of our hearts. Okay? So Simon thought that the laying of hands on the believers to receive the Holy Spirit was very impressive. He even sounded generous, offering to lay hands on others so that he can pass on this power, this anointing. And you will find that this is not even so strange today. You might even find it in our own hearts because we all want to live good and comfortable lives. And if that becomes our primary goal, then we expect God to fulfill this for us. That God would give us, that we would have power not only to change the the situation in our lives as we claim it from God, but that we can begin to, to, to claim it for others, that they too will have the power to change their lives and to be healed and to be restored from illness and sickness. 
we think that being a Christian is about acquiring the Spirit's power to live good lives on earth, to call down angels, to command God's hand to do this and to do that. Many seek the power to be prosperous, to never fall ill or to have the power to heal and over sickness and diseases. Like Simon, it's all about power, isn't it? To live great and prosperous life, to have power to do this. Or if you give generously, God will give you give to you generous power of the Holy Spirit to live well. You see, Simon is used to being popular, famous because of the display of the power and joining this community could add to his repertoire. That's where his heart was. And you see some of our leaders today shouting and commanding the Holy Spirit to move, to heal, to do something spectacular like the Holy Spirit is under our control. And we are so mesmerized by the supernatural. It's all about power. And this is a serious warning to us that's possible to believe the gospel as true and agree that Christ is the king and to publicly baptize and to join a community of believers and to be amazed at the power of God and yet have your heart totally at the wrong place. Like Simon, we could be totally self-centered, seeking God for his gifts and not God himself. Now, this is quite a warning for us here, for those who grew up in a Christian home, for those of us who are so drawn by the power of God to live life well and prosperous, and we claim it as our right. We may, we may not know Christ as we should, that the whole purpose is to know Christ intimately. We may not worship Him as we should. We may instead seek His gifts more than the giver Himself more than God himself. By contrast, let's look at the Ethiopian eunuch now, shall we? And let's read verse 26 to, to 38 together. Verse 26, I read, go on, uh, we can share that. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went and there was an Ethiopian eunuch a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him on the chariot. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this and the one that you just read just now. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For this life is taken away from the earth. Isaiah 53. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing, right? But Philip found himself in Azotus and he passed through 
he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And so here is a story, um, boys and girls, if you're listening to this, is the story of this Ethiopian eunuch, right? People who served the emperor in those days or the queen, or the queen, sorry, uh, had to be eunuchs. Go ask your daddy what eunuchs are. Uh, <laughs> um, but had to be eunuchs. And, and, he, and so this eunuch had been sitting on a chariot going towards uh, Jerusalem to worship in verse 27. And he was, and he was going back. Right? He was going back and Philip had, had heard him read the Bible in Isaiah 53. And, and so Philip went up and asked him, do you understand? And, and he said, no, unless someone tell me. And so he invited Philip to go up. And so Philip went up on the chariot and began to explain to him Isaiah 53. And so Philip meets the finance minister, really. This, this man is probably the finance minister of Queen Candace from Ethiopia. He was sort of an official, like a VIP because he had a chariot, right? So he was someone important in Ethiopia. And Philip hears the Ethiopian eunuch reading Isaiah 53. The eunuch said, how? Uh, unless someone uh, preaches to me. And so the, uh, Isaiah 53 describes a man that was humiliated, that was uh, like a sheep led to slaughter, like a lamb led to, led to slaughter before its shearer. And justice is denied this man. And the eunuch asks, who is this man? Is he the prophet himself or, or someone else? Who is this man? And Philip explains that this person was Jesus of Nazareth who remained silent when he was beaten and humiliated before the Roman uh, ruler. And he was willing to die for us. He obeyed the Father and willingly suffered the penalty of our sin. And so this this. Um, prophet that you had read about in Isaiah 53, the Old Testament in the Scripture, is was fulfilled in this person through G by the name of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, this Jesus was promised centuries ago has come to die for sinners. And verse 36, this led the eunuch to believe and ask, "Why shouldn't I be baptized?" And Philip baptized him based on the story of the gospel he heard from Philip. So let's look at the difference now. Simon was, uh, that we had read earlier was also baptized, but it's obvious that he was interested in power. The Ethiopian eunuch was baptized, but he was interested in knowing Christ. That's the difference. Verse 27 and 28, you see this eunuch was on his way back from Jerusalem when he met Philip. He had gone to Jerusalem, perhaps hearing of this great God, Yahweh, who had led his people out of Egypt and gave them the land and made their descendants like the sand of the sea. And he heard about the tabernacle and he probably read Genesis and Exodus and was now reading Isaiah the prophet. And he wanted to know this God, Yahweh, and he wanted to worship him. And so he went down to Jerusalem so that he could worship Yahweh. But, it's, but this story catches the Utopian eunuch coming back from Jerusalem. And I can tell you almost for sure that this Ethiopian eunuch was very sad, very disappointed. Was very disappointed. Why? Because based on Jewish law, eunuchs or a castrated male would be forbidden to take part in Israel's worshipping community. He couldn't enter. He could not enter the city to worship. Castrated males were set aside as unwhole and unclean and were shamed. 
the law in Deuteronomy 23, 1 says, does not allow a castrated male to enter the temple. And so, likely this eunuch had gone on a futile trip to Jerusalem, unable to worship Yahweh. But, and so on his way back, he's reading Isaiah, and this Isaiah 53 struck out on him because it, it somehow resonated with him. Because the eunuch says, I felt like a sheep before the shearer and did not open my mouth when the temple priest pushed me away. I wanted to worship this Yahweh, but I was humiliated. Justice was denied me because I am a eunuch. I was so ashamed. I could, not, never, I could never ever know Yahweh. But I can relate with this prophet that was mentioned in Isaiah 53. And that's why I, I love this. That's why I asked, is this referring to a prophet or is it to someone else? Who is he? Who is this man? And Philip tells him that this is the Messiah, the Christ who was humiliated so that the eunuch will no longer be humiliated. His body was torn apart so that the eunuch's body could be whole again one day. He took the eunuch's shame and bore them on himself in Calvary. He took the place that, that the eunuch deserved on the cross. He took the place that we deserve on the cross. He, did, he died that we may live. In fact, after Philip explains this to him, the eunuch would most probably have gone on to read as, as Philip was taken away. The eunuch would probably have gone on to read Isaiah. And, and I, 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 I surmise or I just uh, uh, guess that he would have read Isaiah 53, gone on to 54. In those days, there were no chapters, by the way. It's just one long scroll. And he would have read Isaiah 56. Right, it's just three chapters away, just down the scroll. And, and verse 3, he would have read Isaiah 56, verse 3. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And listen to this. Let not the eunuch say, behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that they shall not be cut off. This would have been words of comfort, words of assurance to this eunuch. Uh, and that the eunuch has a place in God's kingdom. The Ethiopian eunuch, who after reading the scriptures and heard the gospel preached to him through Philip, who seeks to obey God, not for the sake of power, but to know Christ. In verse 5 of Isaiah 56 says, I will give him my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than the sons and daughters, better than those in Jerusalem who, were, who, who appeared to know Yahweh and who were worshipping. I will give an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. What, a, what words of comfort to this eunuch who was ashamed because of who he was. God shows special honor to the eunuchs who have no offspring. God will keep them and write their name on the walls of his house and on the monuments. They will be remembered. So the bogus believer, believer Simon believes so that he could get power for himself. The genuine believer is the one who relies on Christ and his sacrificial death for him. The bogus believer was caught in the bile of bitterness and captive to sin, whereas the genuine believer repented left rejoicing at his salvation.
today, if you have been coming to church for many years and you come to church, perhaps even for to search for power, to be recognized, to have influence, to have even a comfortable life that you could claim to be prosperous or successful, to be healed from all sickness and diseases that, that will never come to you. Well, this is the word for you. Repent. A genuine believer understands his, instead his great need for salvation, his great need for a savior, his great need for intimacy with Christ. And this God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who keeps covenant and will never turn us away despite our brokenness and our shame. What is your shame today? What do you bear in your body? What is it that you have brought from, from your previous life, from history, from your, the story of your life? What scars do you carry into your life today that mars you as a Christian even today? What it shames you? What humiliates you? What tells, says to you you are hopeless? A scar or a wound, an emotional scar or a wound. Did you grow up by abused parents or relatives? Did you feel unloved because you grew up in a broken home? Have you grown up with a sense of inferiority complex, like maybe this Yuna? Perhaps that you are useless? Perhaps feeling unloved like this eunuch? Well, the solution is not more power. <laughs> the solution is not to get more power so that you can claim this and claim that, this, or fame. The solution and the answer is in this prophet whom the eunuch had come to know, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the lamb who was led to slaughter the King of kings who rose from the dead and who sits on the right hand of the Father interceding for us daily, who is there for you right now in the midst of your pain and suffering. You see, the answer is Jesus on the cross that took that shame and humiliation and he was like a lamb led to the slaughter. So therefore, brothers and sisters, look to him, the lover of your soul, Redeemer of your life, not to his power or to him, not to his power alone, but to him alone. May God bless us, bless us. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you today. We thank you that for the cross. We thank you that we can come to you like the Ethiopian eunuch. That although we bear on ourselves the scars and the marks of our lives whatever life have thrown on us. Some of us may come, Lord, here in this congregation with, with scars of, of the past, with wounds from abusive parents, from divorce, from whatever was our backstory. But Father, we thank you. That like the Ethiopian eunuch, we are introduced to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the prophet who went to the cross, who took our sin, who took all, those, all the things that, that we carry today and gave us life and gave us hope and gives us joy so that we can rejoice in the hope that we have, that one day we shall be in glory with you, Lord. And so, Lord, let us come to you. Let us repent of, our, of the times we come to you where our hearts are not in the right place. But Lord, that we seek power and gifts instead of Christ. And let us come to you 
with a sincere heart. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.